Again, Matthew chapter 5, verses 9 to 12. But I will begin reading at verse 1. This is God's Word. Listen to it. Seeing the crowds, He went up on the mountain. And when He sat down, He... His, When he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, On my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you, O Lord, for this portion of your word. We thank you, Father, for the Beatitudes, for the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the series of blessings that he pronounces upon His people. And we ask, O Lord, that we would have faith in Christ and that we would indeed be receivers of these blessings. We pray this morning as we look particularly at the verses dealing with being a peacemaker and being persecuted, that You would indeed teach us to be a peacemaker. And we ask, O Lord, that when we are persecuted for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that You would help us to rejoice. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now for the last several decades, since the 1960s or so, peace has become a very popular concept in times of war. And if bumper stickers in the evening news are any gauge, we are at the lowest point in the history of our our nation because we're carrying out wars in two different countries. Peace, it seems, is an ideal that we can all agree on. Who doesn't want peace? The popularity of peace is one of the reasons that the Christmas holidays are, are so widely embraced. There's a lot of talk about peace around the holidays, isn't there? People who wouldn't normally be caught dead singing a hymn are making recordings of Christmas carols because they talk about peace. Just like the one we sang just a few moments ago. People love to talk about peace and so they love the idea of this little baby being in a manger and the angels coming and pronouncing peace on earth. Peace is a wonderful ideal. But peace at what price? It's easy to talk about peace when we sit around in our comfortable armchair and watch video footage of the front-line battles. But do we pay 
a price for peace by giving up our freedoms? Are you willing to do that? Peace is a wonderful ideal, but how do we bring it about? Do we outlaw war so that the only ones who are willing to wage war against us are outlaws? What do we do when the outlaws bring the battle to us? Now, most of the arguments for peace are vague because they don't contain any answers to the underlying problem. And here it is. The underlying problem is that each and every human being is an enemy of God who can only be at peace with God by repenting of sins and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not at peace with each other because we are not at peace with God. Our relationships with other human beings are full of conflict because the primary relationship in our lives, the relationship between creature and creator, is full of conflict. And the only way to bring about peace was for God to send His Son to earth to bear the full fury of God's wrath in our place on the cross. But, but try saying those words at an anti-war protest. See what you get in return. And that's the irony of being a peacemaker who is cast in the mold of Jesus Christ. Try to make peace with someone who doesn't believe in Christ by telling, telling them of their need to believe. And it may result in you being persecuted on Jesus' account. But irony or not, peacemaker is what Jesus has called His disciples to be. If you are a believer, you cannot simply leave peacemaking to those with different ideologies than yourselves. It's up to you to make peace. If we believe we've been given the answer, and we have, we cannot be reluctant to make peace with other people. We are called first to seek reconciliation between God and man by freely offering the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we are also called to be peacemakers between other human beings, especially those who are of the household of faith. And so I'd ask you to think on this as we work our way through this passage. Because God made peace with you through Jesus' life and His death, you are enabled to make peace with others. But expect persecution on Jesus' account. Because God has made peace with you through Jesus' life and His death, you are unable to make peace with others. But you should expect persecution on Jesus' account. Well, This morning we're just looking at two sections. First, peacemakers. Verse 9. And then second, those who are persecuted. Verses 10 to 12. Again, verse peace, uh, peacemakers, verse 9. And then second, those who are persecuted, verses 10 to 12. So let's first look at verse 9. Jesus says here in this verse, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This is the second to the last beatitude, the seventh of eight. And the word translated peacemakers here in this verse, it's used only here in the New Testament. It's used very rarely in the original language. And just like the English translation, the Greek word It's a compound word made up of peace and maker. Now there's one other word. There's another word that is used in the New Testament that's very similar to peacemaker. It's used one time in the New Testament. It's in Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. Let me read this passage to you. The Apostle Paul here says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning 
the firstborn from the dead, and, in, and that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Making peace in that last phrase is the verbal form of the word that we have in our beatitude, in the seventh beatitude. And Paul is saying that through Jesus Christ, the Father reconciles sinners to Himself. The Father makes peace between Himself and all things. He makes peace by the blood of the cross. And so we see that Jesus is the primary peacemaker. It is to Him uh, that this word primarily applies. Because He has brought about reconciliation between God and His creation. But there must be some problem for God not to be at peace with creation. What is that problem? Well, verses 21 to 22 of Colossians chapter 1, Paul continues. He says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Paul is pointing his finger at you and me. We are the problem. We are why peace has to be made. And that is because before peace was made between God and us, we were, inali- we were alienated from God. We were hostile to Him. We had evil minds and evil deeds. Paul says in a different place, in Romans 5, verse 10, he says that we were enemies of God at the time that He made peace with us. Before we knew Christ as our Savior, we fought against God. We fought on the other side. We were in the enemy army. But God in His grace, God in His mercy brought us over. He brought us over to His side. God has made peace with you. And now you are able to make peace with others. And so the first order of business for us as peacemakers is to call others to peace with God. That is our job. And yet a different letter. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 18-20. to 20, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Because we have been reconciled to God, God having made peace with us, now God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. And the message is simple, isn't it? Be reconciled to God by repenting of your sins and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with the task that you and I have. And we try to make peace. We try to bring about peace between God and man. People don't like to hear that they're sinners. People do not like to hear that they need to have peace between God and man. People think they're okay with God. It's offensive to people. 
And so when you come to people with this message, when you entreat them to be reconciled to God, when you let them know that they are not reconciled to God outside of Jesus Christ, they don't like it. And so you can expect to receive a measure of persecution. Different, a different measure for different circumstances. If we have peace with God, we're expected to strive after peace with everyone. Romans 12 verse 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We should strive for peace between ourselves and others. But there are also times when we need to step in between other people and try to make peace with them. But let me ask you this. Is this peace that we're talking about, making peace, is this peace at any cost? Is it peace at any price? Are we attempting to make peace by giving up certain things that really cannot be given up? Absolutely not. There are certain things, certain tenets of our faith where we cannot give up. They are non-negotiable. You see, people come to experience peace by the grace of Jesus Christ. But if we water down who Christ is in order to make Him palatable, if we water down who Jesus Christ is so that people can take Him in without changing, without being challenged, people will not experience His grace. They will not know the Christ, the Jesus of the Bible. We must not give up who Jesus is in order to have peace. We must not sacrifice who the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ is. Because without Christ, without who He is presented to us in Scripture, we will have no peace. We'll have no peace with God. We'll have no peace to offer to other people. And one of the primary areas in which we are called to make peace is within the church. And there are few things that are more disheartening than when brothers and sisters in Christ cannot or will not make peace with each other. We have tasted God's grace. We know what it means to be at peace with God. Why can't we be at peace with each other? You see this all the time. You've been part of churches that have been ripped apart because of a lack of peace. Why is this? Well, peace between fellow Christians is so important that Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 24, just a few verses down from where we are this morning, He says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. If your brother has something against you, you go to him. You seek him out. You seek to make peace. That's how important it is. God would rather not have your sacrifice. If you're at enmity, if you're at strife, if you have anger and hatred toward a brother, or he has anger and hatred toward you. And Jesus understands that until he comes in glory, there will be conflict between brothers and sisters in Christ. There will be. Conflict doesn't bother Jesus. It's the lack of peacemaking that he finds offensive. What Jesus' promise to the peacemakers is that they will be given a name. He says, you shall be called the sons of God. By making peace, you are called sons. 
Now think about this. When we see a child behaving in the way that is just like his father, we often say he is his father's son. We're saying that he gets that behavior from his daddy. When we make peace, when we call others to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, and when we seek to have peace between brothers and sisters at Christ, not at the expense of who Jesus Christ is or what He has done on the cross, we are behaving in a manner that is just like our Heavenly Father. We have become co-laborers with Him. We have taken up His work and we've made it our own. And on the day of judgment, when Jesus Christ comes in glory, we will be openly called the sons of God. This is what you have to look forward to when you make peace. Well, let's turn now and look at verses 10 to 12. Those who are persecuted. In verses 10 to 12, we are given the final beatitude of this section in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, even though Jesus says, blessed are twice in these verses, they're typically grouped together because verses 11 to 12 are seen as an elaboration on verse 10. He tells who the persecuted are and then He makes it a little more clear. He says in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And no one wants to be persecuted. Do you want to be persecuted? No one eagerly seeks it out. You're not on jihad. You're not seeking to be made a martyr. But persecution does happen. In the U.S., it normally happens in the form of mockery. Often the worst thing we face is somebody on Saturday Night Live making fun of Christians who really believe that Jesus Christ did what He said He did. In other nations, persecution is much more harsh. In other nations, persecution takes the form of of chains, of bondage, of punishment, even death. And throughout the history of the church, countless believers in Christ have been persecuted to death because of their faith. Now, Jesus' blessing for being persecuted is not unlimited. In other words, you're not going to be blessed uh, for any type of persecution. He limits it by saying, for righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake. If you're persecuted, for righteousness' sake. If you're persecuted because your desire is to keep the law of God. If your desire is to be in accordance with God's will as He's revealed it to you in His Word, and you're persecuted for that, you will be blessed. And the promise is that you have, yours is, the kingdom of heaven. Now there's much that takes place under the banner of Christianity that is deliberately antagonistic. They're Christians who deliberately tie to antagonize others. Which goes against Paul's command to be at peace with everyone as much as possible. In order to be blessed, you must be persecuted because of righteousness. But as we saw last week, righteousness has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what Jesus says in verse 11. He elaborates now on what righteousness is, being persecuted for righteousness' sake. He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Being persecuted for righteousness' sake means specifically that you're being persecuted on account of Jesus. Because you name the name of Christ. As a Christian, your desire is to live 
in accordance with God's Word. As you do this, you will occasionally, possibly frequently, come into conflict with others who are outside the church. Now don't read into this. Jesus is not commanding you to seek out persecution. He's not commanding you to become obnoxious about your faith. He's not commanding you to become a martyr for Christ. If we truly and humbly follow Christ, which is what Jesus commands, if we're humble in our walk with the Lord, persecution will follow. And it won't be because of us. It won't be because of our personalities rubbing people the wrong way. It will be because of who Jesus Christ is as we present Him to other people in our lives. But why is this? Why is it? If you're walking humbly with the Lord, why is it that you would bring about persecution upon yourself? Well, remember what we said earlier. Before we came to know Christ, we were enemies with God. Now that we're at peace with God, now that we're no longer enemies with Him, we're enemies with the world. And here's the fact. The simple fact is that the world finds Jesus to be offensive. The world finds Jesus to be unattractive. And Jesus said in John 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. The world hates Jesus. It's a strong word. And Jesus says, because the world hates him, the world will hate you. Jesus is offensive to the world. The mere fact of Jesus tells everyone that they are not good. The fact that he came, the fact that he is who he is, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the Savior of mankind, tells people that they cannot save themselves. He reminds people of their inability to do anything good in God's sight. He reminds people of God's holiness. He reminds, he reminds you and me of our unholiness, our unrighteousness. He reminds us that we are broken in ways that we cannot repair. The mere fact of Jesus screams to people that they are unlovely, unworthy, unrighteous. This is why the world finds him to be offensive. And so, there's the temptation then as we walk with Christ to present him in a way that is other than offensive, isn't there? There are efforts throughout the church's history to lessen who Jesus is, to make him a little more friendly, to rub off the the rough edges so that he's not quite so grating And so you often see Jesus stripped of his divinity. Or you see Jesus stripped of his humanity. You see sin and its impacts being lessened. Sin is not that great, so Jesus is not that great. Sometimes as Christians, we may be tempted to water down Jesus so that we can can avoid persecution. We sometimes ignore the harsh passages of Scripture where Jesus talks about hellfire, where He talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth. We avoid it because we don't want to be ostracized. But we should not try to seek out persecution, but we should not try to avoid it either. If we are faithful, it will come to us. 
It will come to you. It will come to me. If we are faithful. And when it comes, do not fear. James, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 to 3 of his letter says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Persecution for Jesus' sake is a trial. It's a test. Persecution for Jesus' sake is an indicator light on your dashboard. It doesn't tell you that something is wrong. It tells you that something is right. It lets you know that things are going according to God's plan. And it is ironic that persecution will inevitably come when you try to make peace between sinful people and God. When you seek to show them what they must do to be saved. Well, Jesus says in verse 11 that people will revile you. They will persecute you. They will utter all kinds of evil against you falsely simply because of Him. Are you ready for this? Can you handle this? Not on your own. Not on your own strength. And if you rely on your own strength, you will run from it. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ has not left you as orphans in this world. He has not left you alone. He has not left you to struggle and to strive on your own strength and by your own power. He has sent a comforter to you. The Lord Jesus and His Father have sent to you the Holy Spirit who provides to you comfort, who provides to you peace, who gives you the strength that you need to walk in grace and in faith. And so you can indeed face persecution because of who you are in Christ Jesus, because of what Christ has done for you, because of who He has sent to you. The Holy Spirit, who loves you, who provides for you, who gives you those words that you need that you don't even know. He gives you what you need to say to others. Do not fear. Do not fear persecution. Jesus' promise to you when you are persecuted is that yours is the kingdom of heaven. It is now. Persecution is simply the proof. You know you're a citizen of heaven when you bear scorn for Jesus' sake. And all Jesus calls you to do is be faithful to Him, to bear His name in an honorable manner, to seek reconciliation between God and human beings, between human beings and other human beings. This is what you're called to do. Jesus has given to His people. He's given to you. He's given to me. His ministry and His message of reconciliation. And He's promised us that we will be persecuted. These two often go hand in hand. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you have not professed faith in Him, you may not face persecution, but you will face God's wrath. You will face Him. You'll stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. You may not face persecution on this earth here and now, but you will face worse than persecution on the last day, on the great day, when the Lord Jesus comes. If you haven't professed faith in Christ, you are not reconciled to God. You are not at peace. 
And you cannot have, expect to have true reconciliation with other people. Your only hope rests in putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting in Him. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died so that all who believe in Him would be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made His Son, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that we might be the righteousness of God. In this way, Jesus Christ has made peace with His enemies. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And yet, O Lord, we acknowledge to You that these words are strong and powerful, that they are great. We ask, O Lord, that You would remind us of Your grace. Should we be tempted to despair or fear persecution, we pray, dear Lord, that You would remind us of who You are and what You have done for us. We pray, O Lord, that You would remind us of the peace that we have through Christ Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.